Creative Sandbox Way podcast, episode 181. Hello, I am Melissa Dinwiddie, and I believe that life is too short not to express the innate creativity inside of you. So I wrote a book called The Creative Sandbox Way, based around 10 guideposts that I developed to get myself out of creative stuck and back to the sense of playful creativity that I naturally had when I was a four-year-old. That book was just the tip of the iceberg. I continue the conversation each week with this podcast. Let's jump in. I have a conversation with two community builders today, Emmy McCarthy and Naomi Hathaway. I brought these two powerhouses onto the podcast because we share a passion for communities and community building. So have a listen. And by the way, it took I don't know, it took like six months or maybe longer to figure out how to get them onto the podcast. We live in like, we're scattered across the globe and aligning our schedules was a crazy endeavor, but we managed to make it work. And I'm so glad. So have a listen and let me know what resonates the most for you. Enjoy. Amy McCarthy has been building communities across Europe since Y2K. You guys remember what Y2K is? (laughs) Before we liked each other on Facebook, before we became a number on someone's mailing list, Emmy was helping humans connect to humans. She sees patterns where others see chaos. And she uses those patterns to connect the dots and develop strengths based solutions that grow communities and help small businesses thrive by getting clear, getting focused and taking action. She knows that together we can make small changes to create big impact. She believes that we all have the ability to build the business we truly want to run and to create the communities we want to live in while still making the impact and income we deserve. Welcome, Emmy. Hello. So lovely to be here. Thank you so much for inviting us. I'm so glad to have you. And Naomi Hathaway is the founder of I Am a Triangle and an international social network with thousands, many thousands of global members who share in common a life lived away from their passport countries. I Am a Triangle offers in-person gatherings in 70 plus international cities and is a one-stop shop for resources, expert advice, and more. She also owns Eighth and Home Relocation, a nationwide network matching families on the move with relocation professionals. After living in several locations in the United States, her family moved to India, where she learned to thrive in the midst of chaos. Following one year in Singapore, they moved back to the United States and traipsed from Florida to Virginia to Ohio and now Nebraska. Naomi is passionate about community building and empowering others to thrive, not just survive in the places they call home. Welcome, Naomi. Thank you, Melissa. This is exciting. I'm oh, I'm so excited to have you. I have been trying to get you two on the podcast for I don't know how many months it's been now, but with multiple different time zones <laughs> and multiple busy schedules. It's been, you know, challenging to say the least. So I'm thrilled that we finally managed to make it happen. And we've got our live studio audience here, (laughs) Creative Sandbox community members. So uh, here we are. So let's talk community. So what I'm really curious about to get us started is what got you interested in community and community building? 
Oh, that's a great question. (laughs) Will I kick that one off? Okay. Well, it's not a natural path for me because I'm a huge introvert. I'm massive. For me, other human beings are energy vampires who are just out to take all my energy away from me on a daily basis. So I'm not the person that you would think would be out there connecting people together. But I am a traveler. I'm in Amsterdam now, but this is my fifth country that I've lived in. And when you move around that much, you have to create places where you feel that you belong. And I didn't always fit in to the places that other people have created. So it kind of made sense to start creating places that I did feel that I fit and I belong. And so I started bringing people together because that's all that belonging is. It's just finding people who say, well, you know, will they like me? And are they like me? Mm. If the answer is that both of those things is yes, then you have a community underway. So that's how I started. It's because I was lonely in the places that I was and I didn't want to be lonely. And I figured that there were probably other people out there who felt like that and didn't want to be lonely either. Wow. So it's really kind of a survival mechanism. Yeah, it's exactly that. I mean, if you look at Maslow's um, hierarchy of needs, after we cover off the basic essentials, so food and water and shelter, we need belonging. It's yeah. a basic survival need as a human. I love that. And I'll, I'll jump right in to follow that up. Brene Brown defined the difference between fitting in and belonging. Fitting in is finding a group of people who allow you to come into their circle, but they ask you to change who you are so that you fit in. Belonging is the group of people that allow you to come into their space just as you are. And I think that's exactly what Emmy was saying. When you start to bring people together that are like you, sometimes it's even in the unlikeliness that you can learn from each other and find that belonging too. And for me, I didn't realize what my history was with building community until I started preparing for a speech. And I was trying to kind of pull everything together to make something of um, some semblance of a talk. And I realized that because I'm mixed race, my dad is black and my mom is white. And this started in the early 70s when it wasn't quite yet popular to be of mixed race in the United States. And then we also homeschooled my entire education, which again, back in the 70s and 80s was not a popular thing to do. I watched my mom create community. And just like Emmy said, if you're somewhere where you don't fit in, you have to create the space where you do. And so I watched her create community around the fact that I was mixed and the fact that we were homeschooling and I've just loved being able to carry it along. But I think it does, it always comes back to belonging. Yeah. It's interesting. I relate to that in that, so my mom is Jewish and my dad is, well, he converted to Judaism, I don't know, not that many years ago. So he was never Jewish when I was growing up. And so I always had this sense of not, and I was, I was not raised religious in any way. So I wasn't, I didn't, you know, we didn't go to synagogue. We didn't go to church. And I had, there was a, you know, Methodist kid, a Presbyterian kid, a Catholic kid and a Mormon kid on the block. Each one was telling me that I was going to go to hell because I wasn't Methodist, Presbyterian, Catholic, or Mormon. And, you know, so I, I didn't fit into it any of their worldviews or religious views or whatever. And I, and then as I got older and there were no, no Jews on the block, there was another kid who was, whose mom was Jewish. She was, had a, her family had escaped from the Holocaust and whose dad was not Jewish. And so, you know, we related in that, but there weren't any Jewish families on the block. And so later when I, you know, met Jewish kids, I wasn't Jewish enough for the Jews but I was too Jewish for the Gentiles. <laughs> oh, yes. Don't get me started on not being enough of. <laughs> yeah. I'm feeling you on that. Yeah. And I, I think that's interesting too, because that I'm actually working on some space, some stuff around being in the middle. And I think that it's very easy to identify people that look like they're in the middle, like me, who are mixed race. But then you bring into it, religion and culture and all of the different ways that you can be brought up. And many of us are in the middle. It's just now that we're starting to develop the tools to be able to talk about that. Right. Yeah. This whole talk about intersectionality, that didn't exist 
Mm-hmm. Or, or the, I mean, of course, intersectionality existed, but the language to talk about it right. did exist when I was, you know, I got my degree in essentially feminist theory and my degree wasn't in feminist theory, but that's basically what I was studying. But we didn't have the language to talk about intersectionality back in the 80s when I was getting my undergraduate degree and 90s when I was getting my uh, master's. So it's interesting. This um, We're all members of intersecting communities. I think that that's, um, that's such an important thing to realize is how many different types of communities that we all belong to. Because traditionally people would say, oh, well, your community is where you live. It's a Mm. space that you inhabit. But then you have to layer on the other communities that you belong to. So that might be your school. Some people strongly identify with their school. They sing the fight song, you know. They, They belong to alumni associations. Then you've got things like church, but then you go out into the world and you're being told that there are corporate communities now, brand communities. Right. Yeah. Everybody wants you to be part of their community. You wrote an article about that on Medium about, see, I wrote some notes here about the three, you talked about three different types of community, activist community, brand community, and impact community. Can you talk a little bit about those three types of community what they are and what the differences are between them. Definitely. Well, maybe if I explain the first two, the brand and the activist, and then Naomi can talk to you a bit more about the impact, which is really the zone that she and I both inhabit. So activist is a really popular term at the moment because you're seeing so many people come out and stand for what they believe in. This is to do with the values that you embody and the things that you're willing to tolerate and not tolerate in the world. And that's been very evident in the last 18 to 24 months. We've seen the rise of organizations like Me Too. We've seen um, the marches and mom demands. And we've seen the children who are marching in America again for gun control. We've seen a huge amount of activism happening around Brexit in the UK, which has Mm -hmm. been very interesting for me, obviously, as a Brit who is abroad, who is about to not be European anymore, not a member of the EU. (laughs) So I'm watching all these organizations where people have just said, I will not stand for it anymore. Mm -hmm. And if I will not stand for it, I bet there are other people that won't stand for it. And so they bring them together. So activism, and this isn't new. This is a long history. This is civil rights. This is everything that shapes us as nations and cultures. Activism is where you stand up and you say, I am going to be counted on this issue. Brand community, something else. Brand community usually comes down from a company. There's a reason that it exists. It's a controlled community. It's meant to serve a purpose. Now, there's a spectrum within brand community. Brand community can be for the company, but also doing really good work. But then there's the other end of the spectrum, which um, I, I think I saw somebody show the back of a bag of lettuce that said, join our community on Facebook. I'm seriously not sure why I need a community that helps me belong to a bag of lettuce. But that's, that's brand. And it's a spectrum and it's a conversation that Naomi and I really want to start pushing about what does community mean in the marketing space? Mm-hmm. Where are we going to sit on that spectrum? So that's activism and brand community. And Naomi can tell you a bit more about impact. Yeah. And then the the third one, the impact community, we feel like that sits a little bit lower in the public awareness. So what Emmy was describing about brand communities and activism communities, um, those are more loud, attention grabbing, attention drawing. Impact communities are the ones that we are in day to day. They're the ones that impact our lives as we go throughout our schedule. They're the ones that impact our families. So like if you think about Neighborhood Watch, which is very common in the United States, or your um, mommy playdates or your uh, parent-teacher associations. Book clubs also falls into this realm. Um, And then, you know, with the dawn of the internet, online communities um, also fit into impact. I think it's worth defining just really quickly what Emmy and I view the definition of community as being, and I'm going to have to read this because I don't have it memorized. A community is a self-sustaining group of individuals who, number one, share a concern for each other, number two, take action to actively support each other, and then this is the big piece that Emmy and I really feel strongly about, 
individuals in a community take the knowledge and encouragement they receive from their community out into the world. Um, And I think that's a big part of what impact communities are all about. When you care about the communities you belong to, when you show up for each other day to day, and then when you do something with that, when you, whether that's volunteering locally or giving back monetarily, or, I mean, there's all sorts of ways that you can take it out into the world, but impact communities are definitely where Emmy and I sit squarely in. Um, So yeah, that's, that's the three. That's really cool. I, I really like your definition. And so I think it, it makes me think about the communities that I'm in. I think about my own creative sandbox community. And I think about like the synagogue that I recently joined. I joined a, a new synagogue to me and, and how like when somebody dies, for example, how the community just like swoops in and there are there are rituals, prescribed rituals around how death is handled in, yeah. in Judaism. And like there's the a, a Shiva ritual, there's services and that are all about how to how to support the people who are left behind. Mm-hmm. And it's just amazing to me how the community just supports the person, the you know, the bereaved person. And you know, that's sharing a concern, a concern for each other, right? Or if somebody is sick, they organize, like, let's bring food over to the, the sick person or the sick family or whatever, taking action to actively support each other and taking the knowledge and encouragement they've received from the, and I, I have your definition actually right in front of me. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. Taking the knowledge and encouragement they've received from the community out into the world. I see that in my Creative Sandbox community, how my members take what they learn, what we learn from each other and apply it in our day-to-day lives. And that's, I mean, that's why I started the community because I wanted, I wanted people to get creating, you know, I wanted people to stop this bloody being stuck business, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and I wanted it to, to spread. Mm -hmm. So it's not, and it's not just a matter of, it's so much bigger than getting to your art. Getting to your art is so important because it affects everything in your life. Because when you get to your art, it makes everything in your life go better. And it allows you to step out on a bigger stage in so many ways. It allows you to inhabit your biggest self. And actually, I'm going to pick on you, Angie. (laughs) (laughs) audience studio audience member angie would you speak to that for a moment and your experiences i'm picking on you because i know you'd be willing to be picked on (laughs) as far as impact communities or as As far as your experience with the sandbox oh with the sandbox yeah with um taking speaking to uh, the the definition of community as a self-sustaining group of individuals who share a concern for, for each other will take action to actively support each other and take the knowledge and encouragement they've received from their community out into the world and how you experience that in the sandbox. Yeah. The philosophies within the group are, uh, first of all, are parallel to mine or or, or overlap. So a lot of what you believe in, I believe in. So from that, uh, when I go to different other communities, your influence and the communities and the influence of our creative sandbox is with me. So I'm sharing that with other people, especially like taking it tiny and daily and, and imperfection. Those type of things are also kind of overlap. And that's where that intersectionality, I believe, with uh, other, uh, other groups and, and into the world. It's, been, it's part of me now. So, mm-hmm. and it's funny because it, it, and it attracts other people who are similar and it's growing. I find it's fascinating how, and, and I'm as, as a, <laughs> My background is as from education. I come from a school community and, and the public school uh, type of group setting. And, and I have hoped that some of what I did in the classroom uh, was of an impact community that influenced the children and they took it out into the world. And I believe it has. But now as away from that, I'm trying to build communities that are, are more aware of kindness, producing anti-bullying, but not to the point where you're, you're bullying people to be anti-bullying. You've got to promote the kindness. So I want to build <laughs> a type of community 
which, and that sense of belonging and empathy. So I see, I'm so glad to be able to listen and, and learn from Naomi and Emmy uh, what you're doing, because it's, it will impact later what I want to do and, and, mm-hmm. and, and do more with Melissa, with the Creative Sandbox and other and future groups. Yeah. And I would just, as a quick encouragement, I, I'm fairly certain that the work that you've done in the classroom has impacted little, you know, it's all about ripples and you never know. And you probably, that's one of the, the drawbacks of being a teacher is you don't always know what happens down the road with those students that you impacted. But I can, I can just feel it that you've probably had a lot of momentous uh, impact in the work that you've done. Yes, thank you. I would agree. I would agree. And I think what you've identified is one of the cores of community and that's storytelling and rituals mm-hmm. because that is one of the oldest human traditions. That's how we pass knowledge before we can sit in front of Netflix and watch TED Talks, <laughs> right? <laughs> we told stories. We told stories around the campfire. Mothers passed knowledge to their daughters. Fathers passed it to their sons. We told stories so that we could learn. And really that's what we're doing with our communities now. We're telling stories in their communities. We're answering questions. We're inviting people to open up. And those stories need to be carried out into the world if we want them to make impact. Mm-hmm. We want them to influence the world around us. And that's, that's part of why when Emmy and I first came together and started just talking about all of this, we realized that there was such a big, large group of online community space that failed to go outside of the group. It was all kept in this tight little ball of almost an unwillingness to share, but until we take it outside into the world, whatever that means, however your boxes are defined, um, until we take it out into the world, it's only serving a small number of people, regardless of how big that online community is. You know, Emmy and I both have run, Emmy still is running an extremely large Facebook group, but until members actually do something with that, and we joke that, some of us have communities that have answers that Google doesn't have. Um, <laughs> but what good is that if it only services one person? So that last piece of our definition has really been the crux of the work that we're doing is the take it out into the world piece. Mm-hmm. You know, I, mean, I, I, I have to say, I thought I had a large community. Our community and the core group, the main group is just under 15,000 now. But um, I was at the Facebook Community Summit for Europe this year. And through that, I've got to know other community leaders who are working in this space. And one of my absolute favorites, Lola Omalola, is running a secret Facebook group of 1.7 million women. What? Crazy. Oh yes. <laughs> that makes my heart. I have palpitations. Right now. I'm like, oh. It is my heroine. I don't even know how she can deal with that many requests and post approvals and stuff that happens. Every oh day. my God. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, these yeah. things exist. It's a secret group. So people can't even find it by word, by searching for it. It's not recommended on Facebook. You have to know someone who is in there to become a member of it. Isn't that crazy? That's amazing. And that has really expanded my thinking and my knowledge on what is possible with these online communities, what they can achieve, the huge and significant impact Mm -hmm. that they are making. But none of us know about this, right? It's not going outside. It's all internal. That makes me think about, you know, the parallel between taking all of the the learning and the knowledge and everything inside these communities, taking them, taking it out so that it can benefit the larger community, right? That the parallel with that and with what creatives tend to do, which is, you know, my first goal is to get people past their blocks and get them creating, right? That's the first job, first goal. But so often people get stop there. And equally important to the creating is to share what you create. And people are so scared to share what they create because they're afraid that they're going to get laughed at or, you know, people aren't going to like it or they're going to get criticized or somehow they're going to get cut down. Right. But what I, and I tell people all the time, share your work before you feel ready. Now, of course, there is a time when you need to keep it close for for a period but people keep it close for too long too, too often and i share all the time about my practice my personal practice of sharing my imperfect 
work in progress, my crappy work, quote unquote, my crappy work, mm-hmm. right? My self-defined crappy work. My gremlins tell me it sucks. And the re- I have this practice for a reason because when I put my stuff out there, it enables me yes. to see it through other people's eyes, to yeah. take off my gremlin glasses and put on somebody else's neutral glasses so I can see my work through their eyes. So anyway, the, I just share that because I see, I see a parallel there that people are getting stuck keeping things contained mm-hmm. so that, you know, the other, the other piece of it is that if, if I keep my work, my ideas, my knowledge, whatever, inside this safe place, this safe community, the small community, or my studio where nobody sees it, except me or my small, tiny community or tiny group community of a million, whatever it is, (laughs) (laughs) then those other people out there don't benefit from it. And in the case of the creative who's not sharing because they're scared, the idea is, well, they're not going to benefit from anything because it sucks, right? But that's the gremlins talking. That's not reality. In the case of the ideas in the community, I don't know what's preventing the sharing from happening, but well, I, um, I think there's a there's a lot of stuff around that. And first of all, I just wanted to touch on the the discomfort thing because I have a, I have a lot to say on perfectionism as a completely recovering perfectionist, still in progress. Me too. But, um, I think people <laughs> often forget that we are forever in practice. Mm-hmm. We are forever in practice. We are never at the end point, and we have to get comfortable with discomfort. Amen. One of the things I like to break out with my clients when we're talking about this is um, some, we need to be the grit and the oyster. The reason an oyster can make a pearl is because it is agitated and uncomfortable. That's how the pearl's created. If we don't create with a little bit of discomfort, then are we ever going to achieve the pearl? Love and that metaphor. There's an amazing quote and I, I'll have to find it. Maybe I can share it with you, Melissa, to, to link out in show notes or whatever. But the basic gist of it, and it was Laura McCowan speaking with Annie Grace. And the quote is something like, if I fail today, let me fail knowing that the me of tomorrow, the me that I'll become tomorrow will be there to catch me. And I was like, oh. yeah. Oh my God, that gave me chills. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? I'll find the actual one so that you can quote it uh, appropriately. But it was such a beautiful thing to realize. Like, Failing today is is okay as long as I know and realize and acknowledge that I'm bettering myself every day. And the, the me of tomorrow will be there to catch me from the failures of today. I love yeah. that so much. Yeah, I always say, you know, we none of us likes to make crap. We hate making crap, but we need the crap because it's the crap that fertilizes the good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Amen uh, to that. Yes. <laughs> so... We have all the metaphors we need. Now we can <laughs> and be done. We're good. Basically, it's a bug. <laughs> See, actually, Emmy and I have a problem with that. We get to talking about things and we're like, that should be in a book. Yeah. <laughs> but to circle back to what you were saying about why communities stay insular, again, so many thoughts on this. But I think a lot of it is to do with the culture that we're surrounding ourselves with, particularly in the last few decades. The concept of knowledge is power is mm-hmm. really strong. Mm-hmm. The concept of com- competition and needing to be better and needing to push yourself harder. This is a very Western construct. And be first. But, yeah. I do not see this in other world cultures, not to this extent. And so while we see a shift, and I operate a lot in the female entrepreneur space, and we see a lot of collaboration over competition and then behind the scenes it's like I hate her (laughs) (laughs) so there is a surface level shift that we actually need to move to a deeper shift in understanding our own value in the world and that by sharing what we know what we create what we do we're actually strengthening ourselves and our communities not weakening them yeah and I I think it also sometimes for us has been a a safe space uh, Mm -hmm. issue that when someone has finally found the place that they belong, it opens up the vulnerability and the willingness to be themselves. And so to then graduate from that awareness to then 
share it with somebody else means that it might dilute your current safe place. I don't know if that explains mm-hmm. it well, but we see that a lot with our um, I'm a Triangle members. They finally have found the place where someone else understands their story without having to go into all of the details of where they've been and where, they've, where they're coming from. And so when I ask them, won't you share this experience with someone else and invite five people in, they kind of go, oh, well, if I share it, then it doesn't stay the same. It might mess it up or it might dilute it. And so I see that a lot too with the whole, like why online communities especially don't often want to share out into the world. Um, But I liked what Angie said, going back to the, like Angie, you said that what you've learned in the sandbox allows you to shape shift your own perceptions and your values and beliefs. You add to it and then take that out into the places that you interact. And I, I liked that. Yes. Uh, and, and what attracted me to Melissa in the first place was the tiny daily. So it's already, yes, I, it's like I put my own spin and she, we both influence each other and I influence others in the realm. And, and it's like the world's getting smaller, actually. <laughs> it's getting smaller. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I, I, you, thought, you said the million, that one million group, uh, mm-hmm. when you think about it, the, the billions of people who are on Facebook, that in itself, it's, it's its own uh, community. Because you have Facebookers and then you have Twitters and people who do Twitter and they're two different realms. And then was the other one? Snapchat people and mm-hmm. and Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. And none of them like each other. You know, <laughs> last year when Facebook had a couple of downtimes and Twitter was all like, oh, here they come. Facebook's down. So we're all going to be on Twitter now trying to find out what happened to Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. <laughs> It's, it's funny. It's interesting. The dynamic is is compelling, and the, yeah. I guess we the more we understand that dynamic, then we can bring more belonging. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that actually that's a great segue because I'm curious about how each of you, Naomi and Emmy, has gone about creating, building, growing your particular communities. And I know you've you've built more than one, but mm-hmm. you each have quite large online communities. So how did those start and how have you grown them? I'll start. And I think it's important to define the difference between large and engaged because I, thank you. Yeah. My uh, community on Facebook grew to over 16,000. Great. And everyone wants to, to look at numbers as the definitive, like you've reached success or you have a community because of a number and um, as you know, Melissa and Emmy, we moved off of Facebook um, last year. We're actually coming up on our one-year anniversary and moved over to Mighty Networks. And that process has been such an interesting thing to watch the shift in the engagement, the shift in the numbers. Um, we went from 16,000 to we're five away from 4,000 right now in Mighty Networks. And I think it's just important to look at engagement and impact as opposed to numbers. What was your question? Because I, I was like, I want to say that. How you how you started and how you how you grew and and it actually it is it's the engagement that I'm most interested in. Numbers are sexy, so it is that is a metric that people are going to you know that grabs people. But it's the engagement that that's really the metric, or I don't know, I don't know how well, you measure that, but. Numbers also, numbers does have some power just in the churn of when someone feels comfortable to contribute back into the community. If you have 10 people, it's going to be a little bit more difficult for 10 people to consistently engage with each other. You know, if you have a hundred, it's sometimes a little easier. So numbers can be, they're not, it's not all just surface. Um, They can be beneficial. My community started because of a need that I had similar to what Emmy was saying, I found myself alone and very unsure of where my place was moving back to the United States after having lived abroad. And I published a blog post that I hit submit. I had been blogging since Blogspot first started back in whenever that was. And it always hit submit and never had more than just a handful of people even read my words. And I woke up one morning and realized that it had hit a nerve. And I had literally hundreds of emails in my inbox with comments from people saying, that's me and saying me also and saying, I thought I was the only one. And I think that that's a powerful place to be in the middle of is when you hit on the realization that the pain and the need for belonging that we all have, someone else shares the exact same thing. And it's, it's just, it's been a joy to develop the community and learn from so many others. And I'm so grateful to have met Emmy because we're 
like-minded twins <laughs> from across the one brain, two continents. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think one of the interesting things in building the community that I've learned is the responsibility and the onus of leadership that I was not aware of before I started down this path of building community. Um, and that's something I could talk about forever. I'll let Emmy share a little bit about hers. Um, my story is different. And I will always say that mine is accidental community building. Whoops, I fell out. Well, built a community again. What actually <laughs> happened is that we, we were having a conversation. There were six of us. We were all pregnant. We were having brunch. We were talking about how we were going to bring these little humans you know, out of our bodies and into a city that none of us were from. We were all international living in Amsterdam. So we didn't know how we were going to have these kids. We were aware that they were going to go out. But, you know, other than that, it was like, <laughs> baby, excellent. <laughs> in a city that none of us were from, in a culture that none of us had grown up in. And how were we going to do this? So we started having this conversation. And we went home um, and decided, one of us decided to start a Facebook group so that we could continue having the conversation, but from the comfort of our heavily pregnant sofas, instead of having to drag ourselves out to brunch every now and then. And when you are pregnant, suddenly every second person in the street is also pregnant. You've never noticed this before, but the world is full of pregnant people. <laughs> they all have questions too. So we would meet people on the street, in yoga classes, in prenatal things, and they would have questions. And they'd go, I, you know, we don't know the answer to that. I'm not sure because I'm new to this thing too. But we are all chatting in this group why don't you join and ask the question there and let's work it out together. And that's how it started. And how it's grown is by having the same conversation. I mean, at 15,000, we're having the same conversation that we did at six. Some days it feels like we're having exactly the same conversation. <laughs> Where do we find the diapers? What formula should I use? Should I do this or that? It's just we're now we're having it with a lot more people with a lot more opinions. And we have never done anything to grow the group. There have been no marketing, no advertising, nothing. In fact, everything that we've done was to keep the group small. If you had asked anyone in the early days who ran the group, they wouldn't have been able to tell you. I would sit in play groups with my newly arrived, very gorgeous, nonverbal son. And people say, oh, have you heard about this group, Amsterdam Mothers? It's amazing. You can ask anything. I'd, oh, really? Uh -huh. Ooh, that sounds great. <laughs> Nobody knew. And for me, that was partly the introvert stuff. That was partly not, not being ready to step into the role of leader that I needed to step into, not understanding that that was the next natural step. And also because I believe that in communities, for communities to really work, they need leadership, but it has to be our community. Mm. It can't be one person's community who without them driving the engine, the community would fall apart. Mm -hmm. That's empire. Mm. When we're talking about community, we're talking about belonging to each other, not one person dictating how it happens, what happens. They are the face, they are everything, and without them, it would cease to exist. Mm -hmm. So Naomi talked about numbers, and obviously our numbers are slightly different. We were in parallel for a long time, and then they, with Naomi's move, she's – you know, really focused in on the engagement, we have been quite fortunate because we're hyper-localized. We're not a global group, although we do have members from all over the world because they've moved on but stayed with us. We say once an Amsterdam mama, always an Amsterdam mama. So they rarely leave. But we are hyper-local. We are specific to the city in the Netherlands that we live in. So we're going to bump into each other in the street, which keeps our engagement very high. We have 80% engagement across all our groups every month. So people are coming in, they're checking, they're reacting. Even if they're not posting, they're in the group and they're engaging with the content in it. So it is engagement that makes a space valuable because if it was just one or two of them, it wouldn't be a valuable space to be. Right. And it's also, and I, I'd be curious to hear what you all say about the sandbox. I have been so encouraged lately to see more and more community leaders modeling the behavior for their members so that the members feel that their input is just as valuable as theirs, um, if not more sometimes. I don't know all of the answers. And so it's, it makes me so incredibly happy when another member will come in and say, 
with a post or an article, this is what I've learned today, or this is what I want to share. And it wasn't at my prompting. It wasn't at my request. It's because they, they hold themselves out to also be a leader in our community space. And so I, I would echo what Emmy said about it's our community. And that's been something that's been very important because uh, uh, as we built the group, we've obviously needed to build a team of moderators. Yeah. Now, one of the struggles with Facebook is that I've been doing this for eight years. So Facebook has had an, an app function for groups for eight years, but they've only really started putting tools into it in the last 18 months, really since the Chicago summit. So previously, we've kind of had to make it up as we go along and work with what we've had. We haven't had anything and that meant that a lot of the time what what we were able to do was a, was more policing. But mm-hmm. in effect of a community and a valuable community space, you don't want your admins, your moderators to be policemen. You want to be right. them to be leaders. You want them to model and to facilitate. Mm-hmm. So I think that's also been something that's been quite interesting to see Facebook evolve with and other community platforms build tools to try and facilitate that because it's not easy. Yeah, I have actually a policy in the Creative Sandbox that it's a guru-free zone. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because <laughs> I don't want to be a guru. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't want to be like, I've got all the answers. Come to me mm-hmm. with your questions. That's not what the Creative Sandbox is about. It's about, you know, let's, if, if you have questions, let's, let's all talk about them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not the one who's, who's going to have your answer for you. <laughs> in fact, this is not a place to get it. This is specifically in the, or in the member handbook is a section about this is not, we're not going to give you advice unless you specifically ask mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. We, if somebody posts something, do not give them advice unless they specifically ask yeah. for it. This is a place to bear witness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I like that. Because mostly what people want is is simply to have, to be uh, listened to, you know, they, they don't want advice unless, in, in again, if they, if they ask for advice, great, you can ask for advice, that's fine. But if you just want to share something, don't, don't go in there and give them advice. How many times have you gone to a friend or your mom <laughs> and just like vented, well, you should do X, Y, Z, da, 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 da. <laughs> I was just venting, you know? (laughs) Well, and half the time, the people that are sharing in a community like that, they already know their answer. Right. And so it goes back to the bearing witness and someone just to hear and listen is 100%. Exactly. We all just need someone to hear and listen in order for us to access our clearest, most brilliant thinking. Yep. So, yeah. yeah. The only caveat I would add to that is sometimes the venting, a community that um, facilitates relentless venting can become a very negative and swampy place to be. Uh, Oh, and I've been in those places. (laughs) (laughs) There has to be some form of leadership, which um, steers the conversation, which doesn't shut it down. Right. But asks in inquiring questions. Yes. You know, you sound like you're having a bad day. This isn't the way that you normally post in the group. What can we do to help? Yeah. Is better than, you're ranting, stop it. Or this is what you should do now. Shh. <laughs> yes. Thankfully we haven't had to deal with that in the creative sandbox so much, but I have been in groups like that where it's just an unrelenting vent. Well, but parade. I would say from the, from what I know about you, Melissa, the reason you haven't is because you are adamant about the culture that you've created and your mm-hmm. leadership is, and this is something Emmy and I talk a lot about is leadership from a closed fist versus an open hand. Yeah. And you're, you're coming at it from a way that will prevent that from happening in your community. Well, we shall see as it grows, won't we? <laughs> <laughs> I have faith in all of the confidence. I do like that metaphor, though, leadership with mm-hmm. an open hand rather than a closed fist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think so much of it does, as you say, it, it comes from that leadership. And this this is true. I just interviewed Mike Ganino, who's the author of company culture for dummies. Mm -hmm. And we were talking all about culture, specifically in companies, but it relates so much to 
communities. I mean, it's all about relationships and communication, Mm -hmm. which is what communities are all about, relationships and communication. Yeah. We actually, we have people contact me all the time and back, especially when we were on Facebook asking for help in running their communities. And they said, we heard that you have a kindness first culture. And I want to know how to, how to get that into my, my community. And so you're so right. Um, and like Emmy said, often when things would go to the side rails, it took that leadership stance of talking to the individual as a person and saying, hey, because I, I know you and know how you normally interact in the community, something's off and I'd like to be able to help. And often that would turn it around. And then that person can take that kindness injection, again, going out into the world it shifts the way they interact with people the rest of the day. But yeah, having a, having a culture inside of your community is wildly important. Yeah, well, and the reason, uh, you, I mean, there's going to be a culture no matter what you do. So it's a matter of having an intentional culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that often comes from the leader and that's okay because you have created the community initially. What it evolves into is different, but you create it initially for you. So it's only natural that it's going to embody the values that you hold most strong and most dear and the people who are your early adopters, the people who want to be around you are magnetized to you because of the way that you show up in the world. Right. And what you will find is that the community will evolve, but the values probably won't because the values are still so integral to you. They won't change massively from the way that you started the community. Mm-hmm. They will just strengthen within it. Yeah. How, do, how does all of this relate to what you refer to as onlyness? Oh. <laughs> so I'm going to show you this I have because it's always right next to me. Um, mm. The power of onlyness, which is make your wild, dense, mighty enough to, no, mighty ideas. I can't read backwards. Mighty mm-hmm. enough to the world. And it's by Nilifer Merchant. And Stephanie, or Emmy and I share a mutual friend, uh, Stephanie Ward. A Firefly Coaching, and she shared this book with both of us, and it was yes. such the right timing. We both latched onto it, and actually, onlyness is my word of the year for 2018. And its basic definition is that we all stand in a space that only us, that we can only inhabit. We might share similar upbringings or all of the different things, but we, because of our experiences and the way that we see the world, we can only impact through our dense in a way that no one else can. That didn't come out very very well, but it's a beautiful book to read. And it's a beautiful thing to realize what your onlyness is, because that gives you that permission um, and kind of takes away the fear of putting your work out into the world because no one else can. And if you don't do it, you're withholding uh, from the people that could benefit from it. Highly suggest everyone read it. Very much so. For me, it was a lot to do with realizing that um, a certain amount of isolation is okay. Mm -hmm. Because you are only you. And you don't always want to fit in, but being able to connect with other people who are only them can be another sort of community. Mm -hmm. You know what this makes me think of? So I'm a lapsed jazz singer for a while. In 2005, I fell in love with the art of jazz singing and I started taking classes at the local community college in, in vocal jazz. And, you know, typical of me, I fell in love with a really, really hard creative pursuit and, you know, set myself to, to learning to master this thing, which is not something that you master quickly. Right. And it's typical of me, my gremlins went nuts and, you know, fell into the comparison trap, but I, I kept at it and I didn't let the comparison trap stop me. I didn't let the gremlins stop me. And one of the things that I really loved about learning to sing jazz is how everyone sings the same songs. There's this, this repertoire, you know, the great American songbook and everyone sings, sings the same songs. Ella Fitzgerald sang these songs and Carmen McRae sang these songs and Diana Krall sings these songs and everyone sings the same songs and the key is just to make them your own. Right. But what really made a difference for me. And when I finally like found my onlyness was when I started writing my own songs. Because when I wrote my own songs, I realized like, you know, other people can sing my songs, mm-hmm. but, and they, they might sing them 
you know, other people might sing, they think they sing them more beautifully than I do or whatever. They can have their own judgments about them, but they're really mine because I wrote them mm-hmm. and I can make a song my own that Ella sang and Carmen sang and Diana sang or whatever. But this song, I wrote it. And that cracked something open for me in a way that like standing in this space that nobody else can occupy. Mm -hmm. So that's what that, when you were talking, Naomi, about that concept of onlyness, that's what that made me think about. Mm -hmm. The other, the other piece to onlyness that I really have grabbed onto, and I think it's wonderful, the difference between singing someone else's song and your own, that's a perfect explanation. Plus think of all the people that have listened to all of the, uh, Ella and Diana and everyone sing those same songs and the different experience if they were to hear your song that you wrote that comes from all of your experiences and your story and the lessons you've learned, that could that could ignite someone else in a way that they wouldn't have if they'd heard all of the, you know, the songs from the Great American Songbook. One of the pieces that I really enjoyed from the book too is when Nilifer talks about signaling. And that kind of goes into the concept of community building also. When you signal your dent into the world, it allows others to pick up on that signal and it ignites something in them that enables them to come and join forces with you. And I, that's the piece of the book that I actually fell really in love with was around signaling and goes back into leadership. Again, I believe, and I, I, Emmy believes, we, we, the thing about Emmy and I is that we have synergy on a lot of things, but we also disagree on things, which makes it beautiful. I believe strongly that we all are leaders, whether it's around our kitchen table or at synagogue or at the grocery store. And until we learn and really research how our um, innate sense of signaling can be unleashed, I think we don't necessarily have a good capture on our leadership abilities. So I think I would encourage anyone listening to this to delve into that whole signaling um, piece. I'm going to mute myself now. (laughs) <laughs> I'm definitely gonna ha- I've heard of that book before and I'm, I'm definitely going to have to read it now that I'm- I would highly recommend it. That's awesome. We are so we're right at the top of the hour and I don't want to keep you guys any longer, even though we haven't gotten to our something cool. So if you have a hard stop, I'm going to let you go, but are you able to stick around? We're good to stick around for a little bit. <laughs> okay, so, so we good. can get to our something cool. It's fantastic. <laughs> I would so, I would love to, just like kidnap both of you and keep talking. But what I'm going to do is kidnap you for a little bit longer, just so that we can do our something cools. And maybe I'll just invite you back again for another. Oh, yes. <laughs> That'd be fun. Yay. Another play in the sandbox. It'll probably take us two years to get, you know, another date that will work on the calendar. We'll just make them miss us more. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that each of you brought something cool to share. So who wants to go first? Um, um, yeah, I, I have, I have two things. So I sent you one and then I came up with another one because I was thinking, you said, think about You're something. overachievers. Also <laughs> recovering from that as well as the people pleasing. <laughs> you know, you were only required to bring one. <laughs> I know, I know, but yes, you will learn about me. The overachieving thing is powerful still. Kindred right, spirit. So the thing that I found out about yesterday that I find so cool because I'm always looking for new gadgets, love gadgets. This is actually a bit of a retro gadget. It's something called CorrectBook. And it looks like a notebook, but it acts like a whiteboard. So you can write over and over again, to-do lists, your notes in meetings. And then when you're done with them, they have an app. So you can scan it directly into your phone to capture your notes. What I super, super loved about this is not only, you know, eco-friendly and but they have um, a social mission behind them where they are using um, funds, 25% from all the B2C that they sell and um, 10% from all the B2B to challenge illiteracy in African schools. Oh, wow. Because, and this was fascinating to me, the prop, there has been so much money poured into education in Africa, but the children don't have paper. They don't have paper to write on. And for me, I can't imagine that because I write all the time. I read all the time. The thought of not having paper to write on as a child is something that I can't imagine. So they are funding these books into the school so the children can practice their writing over and over and over again. 
Oh my gosh. And if you finish with your correct book, then they want you to send it back so that they can donate it to a child. So no correct book should ever go into the bin. bin. I love that. I love it too. I'm, I have to, I have to see these things because I'm, you know, I've been playing around with sketch noting, visual Mm -hmm. notes. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm getting all sorts of ideas. Like, is this something that I can use for sketch noting? And I think so. I think so. Yeah. So I found that really powerful. But when I was sitting down to um, do the interview, I was, I kept, it kept playing in my head because that's something new I found out about yesterday. I was like, what have I been obsessed with this year? What have I been really obsessed with? I've been obsessed with flowers. I live in the flower capital of the world. But um, uh, my husband's gift to me at Christmas this year was a year of flowers. <gasps> every month, every week. Oh my gosh, every week? Every week. Amazing. And they're beautiful. And they come from a startup company here in the Netherlands called Bloomon. And it's a very cool story. There's a great article about them, which I'll send you the link for afterwards, um, which calls them the Netflix of flowers, (laughs) which really tells a fraction of their story because what they wanted to do was to disrupt something. And they looked around them for the industries where, which were most archaic and most out of date and could really do with some shaking up. And they thought flowers because flowers take a phenomenally long time to get from the field to your vase. That's why they only last seven days because they go from the farm to a wholesaler, to an auction house, to a florist, and then into your home. And Blue One said, well, hey, well, how about if we guarantee the farmers that we'll buy a certain amount of flowers from them and it goes straight from the farmer to us to package up to your home? I swear I've told everybody about these flowers i am just affiliate links all over the place i'm like get the flowers get the flowers because they last for like two weeks my <gasps> house is full of flowers oh i feel like a garden most of the time God. i'm running out of vases and i never knew that i was contributing to this lack of sustainability problem that i was part of this chain that was stopping these beautiful flowers from being enjoyed for as long as possible Oh my God, that's amazing. I win at cool stuff today. <laughs> I know, I'm like, oh, now I have to follow that up. <laughs> oh, well, oh really? I was dying today. I, was, I have nothing. I'm not cool at all. I know nothing about anything. <laughs> I can't believe, like, I came up with this idea of actually, I borrowed it. I told, actually, I ripped it off from another podcaster. This podcast. Still like an artist. <laughs> my husband loves this podcast called Script Notes which is oh, for screenwriters oh. and, and it's, it's for screen it's all about screenwriting and things that screenwriter things for screenwriters and stuff. And it's very entertaining. So I listen to it with them because even non-screenwriters can get entertained by it. And at the very end of it, they have this thing called one cool thing. And so I thought, well, I can't call it the same thing as them. So I call it something cool, but it's a total ripoff from this other podcast. <laughs> And now it's like, now I'm creating anxiety for my guests for like competition anxiety. (laughs) Did I mention the people pleasing part? (laughs) Oh my God, you and I are separated at birth. (laughs) Well, (laughs) so I'll continue on. So mine is a garden related thing too. Although I do have two. Mm -hmm. Another uh, overachiever here. You do not have to be a gardener to love this book. My cool thing, it's called The Garden in Every Sense and Season by Tova Martin. And I do love to garden, but I've not been able to garden at our new place this year just because there's been so many other things going on. And so I've been engrossing myself with magazines and books and Instagram accounts to just kind of inject that into my life. The thing that's so cool about this book is it's all about mindfulness. Like, it's delicious. She breaks it up into every season, and then in every season, she breaks it up into sight, smell, sound, touch, and taste. It's delightful. Like, I'm a library girl, and so I always get everything at the library first, and then if I love it, I buy it. And so this has definitely been on. See, there's no library spine. Mm-hmm. This is mine. It's a really good one. So that would be one of my cool things. It's just, it's lovely to just engross yourself in someone else's thoughts around mindfulness and what it's like to have hands in dirt and to create something. And so that's one of them. The other thing, and this is a, again, kind of like what Emmy was saying, I've realized what I have been using all year 
I will admit that I am kind of one person out in the wild, like in my communities, when I speak, all of those things. And then I'm a different person at home. And so I've been trying to really match the two together and be the effervescent, encourager, motivator person at home, like I am outside. So this has been a godsend. It's called, oh, you're not going to be able to see it, Gottman Card Decks. And it is an app that gives you questions with mostly for your partner. There's some spicy stuff in here, so I would not recommend it for anyone that's looking to start conversations with their children or young people. But it's all around rituals of connection, opportunity, empathy. And then my favorite is I feel, and it gives you some really great prompts to just invite some non-scary dialogue with your partner. For instance, one is I feel agitated. And then you just say, why? It's just a really beautiful way to have conversations and to have starters. So Oh. And it's called um, Gottman Card Decks. And in the app, it just looks like card decks and it's two little hearts. So oh, that's awesome. It's good. Oh my God. This is like a treasure trove of something cool. So I'm super excited. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not, I'm not even going to go into a comparison chatter. I'm just merely going to share my something cool this week is I was scrolling through LinkedIn and I saw a video for this new invention. It's a smartphone case that's coming soon to Kickstarter. It's called AdCase, A-D-C-A-S-E. By the time this goes live, it may already be on Kickstarter, but right now at the time of the recording, it's coming soon to Kickstarter. And what it does is it actively protects your display by popping out these little legs if your phone goes into a free fall, <gasps> we all went, what? I know. It's father of a child. What? <laughs> I know. So you can go, I'll put a video in the show notes, but it's really pretty amazing. It's like th- these little legs just pop out as the phone falls down. And so this, the phone doesn't touch the ground, the legs and the legs pop out on both sides and they just go doink oh my gosh. and they pop out in less than a millisecond or something like that. I don't remember the statistics. And so the phone doesn't even touch the ground because it's got these little doinky, just boink, legs just pop out. It's pretty amazing. It's like Inspector Gadget. It's like Inspector Gadget. It's, and it it looks like this little like robot legs, boink. Oh, I just Googled it and it's beautiful. It's really cool. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty darn cool. So, and I have no idea like what they're going to charge for this thing or anything, but it's just really cool. So that's my something cool. That's awesome. <laughs> we have five, five something cools this week. That is a record. Total oh. record. There we go, Naomi. Over delivering. delivering. We don't know anything about that. <laughs> no, not at all. I can tell. I can totally tell. All right. Well, you. Awesome. Oh, thank you are amazing. And this has been a total joy. And I feel like we just barely scratched the surface, but it was so much fun. And thank you for s- sticking around over time and sharing your something oh, cool and it. bringing your wonderful, open-hearted, bright spirits. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank this was you. fun. Good to meet you, so Angela. <laughs> Likewise. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. I will be in touch. Thanks, thank that's it. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Emmy McCarthy and Naomi Hathaway. Let me know if you resonated and connect with me on LinkedIn or direct message me on Instagram. And speaking of community, I'm holding a free creative sandbox community virtual play day on Saturday, November 17th to celebrate my birthday and you're invited. I'm celebrating my birthday by making art and streaming it live on DoodleCam. That's what I call my webcam when when I share my art making process. And I'm inviting everyone to join me. Not technically everyone because there are limited spaces that limited number of people who can actually join. But come watch come listen to me talk about my process and come make your own art alongside me and ask any questions that you might have with the text chat or you can even 
share on video if you are brave enough, or you don't have to, totally up to you. And a bunch of my Creative Sandbox community members are going to be there, so you'll get a chance to meet some of them as well. But as I said, spots are limited, and you do need to register in advance. And this is a live-only experience. I will not be sending out a recording of this event. You got to be there to experience it. So go right now to virtualplayday.com to sign up. That's virtualplayday.com. It is Saturday, November 17th from 10 a.m. Pacific to noon Pacific. And I hope to see you there. So that's it. Thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, and as always, if you are getting value out of this podcast, please share it with a friend. And I would be so appreciative if you would take a moment and hop on over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. One or two sentences is all you need. Just what do you like about the podcast? Uh, And email me to let me know that you left a review and let me know how the podcast has made a difference in your life. And if you do that, that's how you can apply to be considered for the listener spotlight. The listener spotlight is just listeners who get to be on the show. And if I pick you, we'll have a really fun, really relaxed conversation. That's one of my superpowers is making people feel comfortable. And you'll get to be featured on the podcast as a guest. If you don't know how to leave a review not a problem. I got you covered. Go to creativesandboxway.com slash iTunes dash review. That's creativesandboxway.com slash iTunes hyphen review. And I've got step-by-step instructions. It's really not that hard, but it makes a really big difference because the more positive reviews that podcasts have, the more people find the show. Because when people are searching for new podcasts to listen to, Podcasts with more positive reviews pop up higher in the search results. So it really does make a big difference. So your review can really help other people find the show. So anyway, thank you in advance. It means a ton to me. That's it. Until next time, I hope you will join me and register for Virtual Play Day at virtualplayday.com. Thanks again for joining me and go get creating. Subscribe at creative sandboxway.com slash podcast.